0: anybody looks at what they do as a job I don't think that they'll ever be successful but if they find the one thing that they love in life and they do that and they focus on that as long as it's productive um if they do that and they focus on that there's no way you won't be successful because it's never like work there's never going to be a Saturday or Sunday that I'm going to complain about opening up a shop or being in a shop or working in a shop because I'm not working
1: Welcome to another edition of Ratchet & Wrench Radio, Strategies and Inspiration for Auto Care Success. I'm your host, Chris Jones, and today I'm joined by the iconic, the legendary, Reese Sutherland. Uh, you guys are going to love this episode. Reese and I sit down and get real candid. We break down that profile that we did in January and just go deep on it. So we talk about Reese growing up in the shop. We talk about her family dynamic. We talk about... Her going to auto tech school, what that was like being a woman in an auto tech school, what it's like being a woman in the automotive industry. We talk a lot about uh, just how she developed her brand strategy and how she built her shops up. Uh, We talk about Reese's passion for life, her zest for life, what gets her up in the morning. Uh, We talk about her love for people. Reese is very passionate about people. She cares deeply about individuals and she's going to talk about that. And we have a lot of really fun conversation in between. So hope you'll enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here's Rissy. Well, hey, welcome to Ratchet and Rich Radio, Rissy.
0: Hey, Chris, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing phenomenal. Of course, you're no stranger to Ratchet and Rich Radio. This used to be something you did on a regular, right?
0: It was. That was my second home. I was on the original um, editor board. I think I served on the editor board for like, Four or five years um, used to when we first started doing the radio show, which was a long time ago. Um, yes, I, I would uh, interview a lot of the shop owners across the country. Um, one, because I loved it. Two, because I wanted a reason to be able to go out and visit a lot of them. Three, it helped me to learn a lot. And I just love talking to other shop owners. So you get to do a really fun job, I know.
1: Absolutely. I love it so much. Now, you're a shop girl from way back. Talk to us about growing up in your dad's shop and what that taught you.
0: Oh, my goodness. uh, Well, it definitely taught me to be tough because I had a lot of brothers and uncles and cousins that were in those shops. (laughs) But I did. um, Dad had his first shop and then he brought in my uncles and my uncles brought in my cousins. And then my dad brought in my brothers. And then I am the youngest in the entire family that came into the business. Um, so by the time I came in, I had to just figure out how to wiggle, wiggle my way and find a spot in there. So I started out just like everybody else, organizing parts out in the shop, um, then went into, you know, changing oil if it came in, then um, had an affinity. You know, back then, this was, you know, pre-97. Um, this was back when you actually had parts in transmission. So a part was broke, you fixed it, and I had a little bitty hands, So it was really easy for me to get into cars fix stuff, get in and out. Um, so that's how I started into it. And then when I got my driver's license, then I could start delivering parts. So love that. But where my dream was is I just wanted to be at the front of the shop. I wanted to be the one talking to customers. I wanted to be the one answering the phone. I wanted to be the one that actually ran and had my own shop. So that really went to the highlight of where I wanted to end up very, very, very young. Um, before I was even driving a car, I already knew that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> oh,
1: wow. That's that's a lot of family members in the business. Are they all still in the business? Or are you the last one standing?
0: No, no, no. They are all. And my dad, um, I'm not going to say his age or else he might come after <laughs> me. My dad still goes into one of our family shops every single day to this day. Um, my brothers still have shops. My uncle still have shops. My cousins still have shops. So everybody in our family is still running in the automotive world. As we speak right now, they, we all love it.
1: Wow. You wouldn't want to
0: come to our Christmas parties.
1: <laughs> Talking shop all year long. It wow.
0: would be. Yeah. Some of the family members and we definitely have a clear line. We have the non automotive family members and they hate it. And then we have the automotive members and we're junkies and we love it. So usually the house at some point gets divided. Um, when we have holidays.
1: <laughs> so it's not politics. It's industry. It is not
0: politics. <laughs> and we actually get a, um, they, they will make us uh, the mom, my mom. Um, we have a curfew of that. We have to get through certain points of the night before we are allowed to talk about shop. We never obey this rule, um, but she does try to instill it. My sister did a great job of, of instilling that rule Cause um, she'd come after me if I started talking. So <laughs> I, but she was the one who instituted everything.
1: Oh, that's phenomenal! So, so from that point, being a shop kid, you ended up taking automotive training classes during this time. What was your experience like in automotive training first, in general, but then also as a woman because that was back in the '90s? Like, what was that like then, as compared to automotive now?
0: Yeah, I was terrified. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to fail. I'm just not. That's not my mechanics. Is like I will succeed at everything. Um, So I remember it was a room full of, I was the only female and probably by 20 to 25 years, I was the youngest person in that room. Um, There was, it was what you saw in the industry back then, which was um, men who had grown up in the industry, who had worked in the industry and who were now running a shop and I are working in a shop and it was me coming in there. So when we would end, I read every single book that we. Because back then we just had books; there were no computers. (laughs) I read every single book cover to cover that they gave us, and I still have the notebooks today. Every single script, every single um, sales, everything that they had. I took these notebooks and at night when we would go back to the hotel i would write everything word for word so that i could never in a million years like forget it because i was like if i can write it word for word without looking then i can say it out out loud word for word then it's going to become second nature and i will i will do phenomenal so that was what my plan of attack was so i don't think i slept um during that training class and sure enough it came to the last day and one of my today mentors, then I didn't know he was going to be my mentor. Um, he was the new vice president at the time, and his name was Pete Baldeen. And he came in, and he was like, Recy, um, you made the highest grade in that, you know, that franchise system, the automotive system had been almost 50 years old. They're like, you made the highest grade of anybody who's ever taken these automotive tests before. And um, And I was like, well, what was my grade? And I missed one question. And so... I remember he called my dad to congratulate my dad He's like your daughter just made the highest grade of any um, anybody who's ever taken these classes all the way through the times that we ever had this automotive school and um, my dad's like she made the highest well did she miss anything He was like yeah she missed one question and so dad asked what that question was and his one response was put her on the phone. And then he, I got on the phone and I was like, hey, and I was expecting like, congratulations, you're the best daughter. He was like, why'd you mix that question? You know, you know that answer. And I was like, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so we are definitely, and I wasn't mean, like that's just our family. We're like every single day is what can you do a little bit better?
1: Wow, that's a great, that's a great story about your dad too. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things where they, he expects you to pass and he expects you to do it all the way through. He does.
0: He expects me to, do, to be the best. And it wasn't even be the best against other people. It was just to be the like, this is something you obviously knew already. Why Why would you miss that? Like you can do better.
1: Yeah, And that's only
0: in a motivating way because he knows that's what motivates me.
1: Right. And do you think growing up with all those boys made you competitive like that? Or do you feel like it was just the environment that you needed to prove that you were just as good and you belonged?
0: It definitely, my, my brother's never were competitive against me. My brothers rallied around me and now they picked on me a lot. Um, But they were my protectors. Um, They, uh, so I didn't have to worry about that. But what did make me competitive is that I wanted to prove that I was good enough to run in the same, that I could do everything that they could do because I was, I was the youngest. I was the little sister. I wanted to hang out with where my family was and what my family was doing. And so the only way I knew how to do that was to be the best at what they were all trying to do. And if I could do that, I knew they'd let me hang out. So I think that was probably part of the drive is to be as good or better than them so that they would always let me hang out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, with regard to like tech schools, do you think even in a modern sense that women feel like they have to play that same level that you did just to feel like, okay, I'm here, I belong, I need you guys to take me seriously?
0: A hundred percent. Um, and I'll say that because I'm a female, so it makes me feel very comfortable saying it. I, I do think that even to this day, that at first, that especially if you want to work in the back of the house, um, that you're probably not going to be treated exactly as not one of the guys unless you really do know as much or more and not in an arrogant way. Um, and you do have to pose yourself. I do think you have to carry yourself in a way of saying, I'm open. I want to learn. I don't know everything. And nobody wants to be around and know it all. Um, so I do think that you have to have those things in the back of your mind um, and that you are working in an environment that, I mean, the fact of the matter is 90% of people who work in the automotive are men. And it's because that's where they want to be. It's not because women are being chewed out. It's just, that's the way it is. Um, I do think today though, at the front of the house, um, and so in the back of the house is that you're starting to see a lot more female managers and technicians. And I will say not to the detriment of my male managers, but my female managers outsell most of our male managers today. And I think that's because just they they inherently trust what their technicians are saying. They do a good job of communicating that back to the customer um, and customers tend to trust them um, just due to how they communicate And so I do think that's actually in the long run, it definitely helps us in our career.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say it that way because I remember talking to Aaron Stokes maybe a month or two ago and he said something very similar. He said, you know, the females that he mentors, they tend to be very detail oriented and they care about the promises they made to the customers which pushes them to make sure everything gets done properly.
0: Yes, like if they tell a customer, I'm gonna follow up with you in an hour, they're usually very good at making sure that customer is going to get followed up within an hour. Like they, they don't let those little things fall off. um, And then they make every single customer feel special.
1: As someone who's well-respected in the industry, you know, what strides do you feel like the industry has made towards making females feel very comfortable and welcome in the industry? And where do you feel like we need to do more to elevate that?
0: Um, The biggest thing I see is one to keep highlighting, especially the technicians and the female owners and managers Um, through magazines, through articles, through radio shows, through being on TV. You know, I've done things with um, Fox Business News often. And when they see a lot of times, the first time people see me, they're like, you're not what I was expecting. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? Because I know what everybody expects. And I expect the same thing. You know, when I first meet somebody, it's just what's built up in my head. But I think that as we start to hear more and more and we start to put more and more of the success stories of the female in the automotive industry out there, it's going to make a lot more of them excited about engaging into technical school and to go in and leading a shop and running a shop. The more success that I hear about, the more it's like, oh, I want to go do that. And I have uh, female mentors or uh, female shop owners and female managers that I continue to mentor now because they're like, hey, I want I want to do what you did. Can you help me to get there? I'm like, Hey, if you're on for the ride, come on. I I actually have a female shop owner that's coming to visit my offices and some of my shops at the end of February. She just, she already has three shops. Um, She is a, she goes to a lot of ratchet and wrench stuff. Um, She's a very successful female shop owner. She wants to have two more shops. And so um, she's coming out here to see how we run ours. And, Anybody that makes that call, I am more than happy to help them get there because that was the only reason why I got to where I'm at today is because 100% shop owners, when I call them up and say, hey, can I have help? Can I come learn from you? To this day, they're like, absolutely, come on. It's, everybody's got an open door policy, which is great.
1: That's really good that you do that because I think that representation absolutely does matter. And I like seeing, like when I go to events, seeing the women in auto care, like have their receptions and bring, bring women together to speak. I think it's a very powerful thing.
0: Oh, yeah. And it makes us more excited about it.
1: Now, somewhere along the timeline, you earned a bachelor's degree and a couple of mm-hmm. master's degrees from Clemson, and you switched career paths. You know, Talk about your HR and your real estate career path and what those lessons taught you.
0: Oh, that was so much fun. So when I was doing my degrees, my undergraduate degrees at Clemson, I would work at the shop during the day. Um, and then I had Tuesdays and Thursdays that I would go to, I had morning classes, go work at the shop in the afternoon and night. And then um, I would take all of my classes at nighttime. Um, So I'd drive back and forth from the shop to college um, at night. And then once I got to moving into running a shop, in my first year of owning a business, running a shop, I got audited by the Department of Labor and I got an OSHA audit um, all in the same year. And so I, at that point, was like, you know what, I am never, ever, ever I don't ever want my family to be going through something like this. I don't ever want, I want to know everything about it. So I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get my master's degree in HR so I can learn everything about OSHA, Department of Labor, all of these things. So that's where that first inclination came from is because I got those audits. And I said, I'm going to make sure everybody else in the automotive industry knows what they need to do to protect themselves. And that was where that motivation came from. Um, The second one then was real estate. And real estate came from, we had started to, um, at my original career, it was Marin Industries. And then, of course, I ended up being co founder and, you know, of Honest One. And so we were opening up these shops all across the United States. And so I was like, um, you know, where could I go to learn about how to do construction and how to do and find real estate and know all about today? There's tons of platforms. Back then, there was not. But how to find out where should I put a shop when I don't even when I'm like, you know, seven states away. I can't fly to all these places all the time. How am I going to find real estate? And that's what spurred me to say, you know what, I want a master's degree in real estate. And Clemson University was actually just coming out with a master's of real estate program. And so I ended up getting my um, degree from there and then stayed on as a professor of national real estate and teaching it. And then I would have them use their thesis. So when I came up with a new city that I wanted to open a shop in, I would let the master students at the real estate school at Clemson, their thesis would be to, I want to go in this city. Y'all find me the best location, get me zoned properly, get me approved with zoning. And then that was how I initially found all of my locations. (laughs) So they did that as their class projects.
1: Wow. That's very methodical. Like, I love hearing how you did that, like how you pursued these degrees in areas that were gonna help you to, like, to really build something big in the immediate, but down the road. I, th- I know they all paid in dividends too.
0: Yeah, I had no idea that that's what I was doing at the time. I just knew that I was like, well, I don't know this, so I have to go learn it. <laughs> and it just somehow <laughs> kept flowing and flowing.
1: Yeah, no, I love how those skills that you build along the way just complement and transfer into yes, areas where I you're love like, it. oh, it's I can't so much fun.
0: And my big thing is making sure other shop owners, it like crushes me when I hear a shop owner who just got their first OSHA audit and was not prepared for it, or just got their first Department of Labor audit and they weren't prepared for it. And I'm like, oh, I just wish I would have got to them before. You know, because the knowledge, as long as you know, it's not a big deal at all. But when you don't know, yeah, it can be devastating.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. Now, side question for you, you know, as someone who went to Clemson University, are you bearish or bullish on Trevor Lawrence being the next great NFL quarterback?
0: Oh! Yeah, Trevor is crushing. So I don't know if you saw uh, like you know the takes from this last game, but I mean you could see Trevor dominated, and he is going to like he's coming in his stride now. He was in his stride at Clemson, um, and he is definitely coming to his stride now in, in NFL. So I am so excited about him moving up, and I will say just not only from the Kids Got Talent perspective. The kid is such a good kid and such a, a, a godly and faithful servant. He would Saturdays play at Clemson, and um, you know he went to Clemson University, and then he ended up my church, my family church was right down the road, and in and it was located in Clemson University. He would play a home game, and it would be a night game, and the game wouldn't be over till eleven o'clock. And you know that kid played his heart out. And I can promise you with my hand on the Bible that I do not ever remember a Sunday morning where that kid was not sitting in the front row of church the next day, ever. Wow.
1: That's wild. This <laughs> is a lot about his character, being a young yes. man and showing up on Sunday morning after a late game Saturday night. I think that, that says a lot about his character.
0: I got to say, I went to college, but I, I don't know if I did, I mean... And especially if I was playing football, I don't know if I would have been as good as he was at that young age. I mean, I was always a good kid, but it just, it, it he just impresses me everything he does. And he's got so much talent. I can't wait right. to see where he goes.
1: Now talk to me about the journey towards starting drive automotive services. When did that become a thing?
0: Ah, that was so much fun. So when I sold my equity, um, you know, in honest one auto care, I did have a non-compete for a period of time. And so I, I, Wanted to go into my partner um, had some health issues. I had some health issues. It forced us to um, to go, and we'd had multiple offers. We said, you know what? It's the right time to sell equity. And I had always wanted to try other things. I was like, you know, I've I've done so well in automotive, but I don't know. Could I run a business just as good nationally if it was other industries, other businesses? And so I tested. I was on the International Franchising Association board. And so um, there was three national franchises that, one in medical, one was a child's pump up uh, national franchise, and another was a national maid service franchise. All three were failing companies. Each one of them had um, anywhere between the smallest one, I think, had 60, 62 um, locations and the large one had about 300 locations. And so I surprisingly went in and used everything I had learned in automotive to go in and figure out what was going on in each one of these companies, hire in new executives and new people to run it, fix it and get out and was successful in all three of them. And I'm like, okay, this pro- like proved it to myself is that, yes, I can be a COO or CEO of business is business at the end of the day. Um, it did not differ no matter what the business was. Um, however, what I did find is I missed automotive. I was like, I love automotive. And so, um, one of my great friends was, um, back in the day was Greg Sands. You know, um, he had Mud Lake Mail back in them and he was, I was one of the first national companies that Mud Lake Mail went to and started doing mail with them and, um, Greg and his wonderful wife and he had two partners that were located across the country and they were looking towards retirement. Um, And I was looking for, hey, I want to get back in automotive and I need a platform and I want to grow and I wanted to out of franchising. I wanted to be able to run them all myself. And so it ended up being a great combination of saying, hey, they are going into retirement. I would like to come in and, and grow this business so that was where all of that started so i partnered um i started first to get everything like it turned them all into a platform-based business nationwide figure out how we were going to do the real estate and the construction nationwide um and then we had COVID, of course so it delayed it a little bit and then um, went to market and teamed up with um, the most fantastic equity group silver oak and they were um, coming in to be my financial backers because um, of course if you're going to do triple growth (laughs) and um, two years, three years, which I'm used to doing, but you do when you're going to self-fund it, when you're going to be the one to open them all, you got to have the finances to do it. Um, So it was a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to combine that um, and turn that into drive automotive services to grow nationwide and to open up new shops across the country in the same platform.
1: Wow. So what does it take to build a franchising model?
0: You know. So I, you know, for me, uh, we're not a franchise. We own them all. But what the great <laughs> thing about franchising did teach me when I, because everything I started was in franchising. The great things that franchising taught me was one, how to do rapid growth. Uh, two, it definitely taught me about, you know, having to know every single aspect of how to run a company because each individual one was, was its own company. Um, the other thing is how to work well with people. Um, Cause in a franchising model, Yes, you would have a a new person come in, they would buy the concept, they would open and they would operate it. But you really had to be convincing as a franchisor to say, here's the reasons why you have to, I mean, because you can't just kick everybody out, why you need to follow this model and why this model will make you successful. So it really helps you work well with others and and hundreds of different personality types. So that helped a lot to when I came in and said, hey, I'm going to come out of the franchising. And we're going to run all of these as independently owned. So we own all of them. Um, and we're going to take what we learned and be able to do that in our own company and grow it this way. So a group company is a model. is a great way to fast, um, fast-paced growth. Now I get to take everything I learned and then uh, grow it as our locations. We own them with a backing of a great uh, equity firm.
1: Okay. So the shops that you, you pull in, are you pulling them via acquisition or are you just starting them from scratch?
0: Um, I have both. Um, So right now, about 60% of our locations are are acquisitions and about 40% of our locations are build-to-suit. So we are building construction. So this year alone, um, we have, I think, 18 to 22, because, you know, construction is crazy, um, locations that were going to be completed by the end of the year as far as construction, new construction. Um, And then there's double that that's already in the queue for next year for new construction. So it just takes time to get through the, because you have to go through permitting and all these fun things. Um, so the ones that are open up this year, they're already in process and started up now. And then the rest of it is acquisitions that we're doing in our pipeline is full for the year.
1: <laughs> wow, already?
0: Yes, it's already it's already full for the year. So um, just absolutely blessed. I think if I took a guess on why our pipeline, our our pipeline is so full well one people oh i mean you're crazy not to recognize it but you know if you thought of retiring anywhere in the near seven eight years or less you probably were like oh my goodness before this market does turn if you were gonna sell you probably were looking at selling now and there's just no there's no denying it you can see the multiples every single day it is a rapidly changing market so it's probably sped that up even more right now so that's one thing the second thing is, it really depends on the the seller, the acquisition. So, you know, I have some that say, "Hey, I want to be involved. Um, I want to stay involved." I that I'm like, "Come on! I, there is no talent that I am going to turn away. I will take a, I will take all the talent I can get." So, some people just want to be a part of something bigger, something to grow, something that maybe they're not as uh, financially liable to or held to because they may have different things that they want to do in the future. Some people say that they want to completely get out, but they want to make sure that their people are well taken care of. And I think that that's probably the big reason why so many people may call me is there's many of them that will tell them, I will give you my honest opinion. If I don't think you should sell your property to me, I will flat out tell you. If I don't think you should sell your business to me, and I think you could get based on what your objectives are better somewhere else, because you want something different than I, I will be, a, I am so transparent. Because unless it's a win for both sides, unless it's a win for me and a win for the seller, it will not come out as a win in the end of the day. Um, We are a small industry. I mean, you know, there's probably no shop owner that you could call in the country that's not going to be like, hey, do you know Reese?" And I'm not saying that they're going to say they know me personally, but. You could name a hundred different shop owners names right now. I'm probably going to be like, yep, know him, know him, know him. I may not know him personally, but I know of them because we're a small group. And so if anybody ever did somebody wrong or felt like it wasn't the right thing at the end of the day, word's going to get around. And that's the last thing that I would ever want to happen is there's not a lot of things that I ask for in this world, in this industry, but having a good reputation and know that I care about the people that I work with and want the best for everybody and there can be a win-win in almost every situation. When it can't be, I'll be the first to tell them, hey, this is not what you want to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's cool how you evaluate it that way. Because sometimes you deal with an acquisition and most of the time it's the owner wants out. But the fact that you know, you're, you're willing to retain the owner if they want to remain, yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's a massive win for you because you don't have to go find new staff or new managers to fill the store. You've already got a guy in there who knows the shop front and back, who just, you know, like you said, who just doesn't want to do all the heavy lifting anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. And then I have a lot of shop owners that, you know, may own two, three, four, five, and they are leveraged. They can't continue to buy and grow, but that's what they're passionate about. And they love overseeing and running multiple locations, but they want even more. Um, And so a lot of times that's a great one, too, for us to, you know, hey, you want to run more locations. You want to invest your own personal money. You don't want to keep your personal money tied up into it. Um, that's another time where I'm like I would absolutely love for you to be a part of that that growth model that we have they get to run it um, they get to as we add in more locations in that city they're a part of that um, so it's a it's a fun thing because people get to broaden their horizons because sometimes they get a little monotonous so they're like how can I go out and change what my trajectory is now
1: yeah, yeah. And so when you take over a shop, does it operate under the drive umbrella or does it maintain it's, the name it's already community recognized for? Like how does that, how yeah, does that typically work in the automotive space?
0: Um, I, it depends on a couple of different things. So one, is it if, if a location or a shop's. So let's say that I'm doing an acquisition. I'm going to use one that just recently happened. Successful, you know, five locations, great brand name, great people. The community loves them. For me, there is no rhyme or reason nor any benefit to me or the people that work there on a day-to-day basis to take that name off of the building and put my name on it. It just, there's no real upside to it. Now, if it's a location that is a single location in a city where we already have multiple locations and it can only help to enhance that shop, enhance what those people can do in that location, Um, then absolutely, I will either change the name or I will co-brand it with our location so that they can get the upside and benefits of both. So every single one of them is a one-off. It's what is the best for that location, for that city, and for those people.
1: Now, something you mentioned a little bit ago was the idea of you know name recognition like people throw out your name and you're very recognized for that like when i first heard about you i was pretty new in the company and people were mentioning you to me like oh yeah and then i started going to conferences and i finally got a chance to meet you but it's like in my mind like you have this like serena williams michael jordan tom Brady-esque type like thing <laughs> you know you got this thing going where people like look to you in that in that regard like i think your work ethic is so deeply admired like what sort of drive does it take to be like you
0: i for my drive and I don't know where it comes from but it is 130 percent of for everything that I do and I think my family says I was born with it so I started running when I was five um, so today I still do adventure marathons um, every single day I still run and when I run first thing in the morning by the time I get done running I typically have already listened to a podcast for the day and I've already got my entire day of what needs to be accomplished um, with the most priorities it's, it's already in my head it's already done um, and I love doing that like I don't run because I have to I mean at five years old I was running because I just love to do it same thing with the automotive business I, it's because I love there's not a day that I wake up in my bed and say I am tired I don't want to jump out of bed and go run and start my first meeting or start my first shop visit or whatever it is. That does not happen in my world. And the first day that it ever does happen, that's the day that I should look to say it's time for me to start looking at retirement. Um, when that drive, when that passion, because if you love what you do, it's not work. It's uh, these these people I work with every day, they're my family. So I have families in a bunch of cities because I I love them that much. I love what I do. I spend 90% of my time with them.
1: So what are you learning right now?
0: Today, we actually were um, learning. We have DVI that we were um, changing up. So we're changing up all of our DVI right now. The other big thing that I'm, this is a very light topic. Um, I am doing a study, a biblical study on revelations.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And so I just entered in, um, I love to go to um, seminary school and um, study. And so right now I am in the process of studying um, revelations and going to seminary school uh, once a week. Um, So that's a big passion of mine for something new to learn. Um, So new things are happening in the business. And I also have a new uh, marketing director and a new construction manager and just learning things that, you know, I've been doing things the same way for a long time. that have been successful. So I love that, you know, my new marketing director, she was the marketing director of Jamba Juice and Panera Bread. So you can imagine she's coming in with things that I've never even heard of before. And I'm like, oh, you're a brick. So I'm excited about learning about those things again because um, I haven't made changes to that piece of the pie in a long time. And I love that my new construction manager um, that we just hired He's coming in and because we're having to get real crafty on construction materials um, and building layouts today because of how much materials cost and the backlog of materials, if we still want to hit timelines... And we still want to hit budgets. We really have to be good at construction. And I love the new things that he's bringing to the table. That's um, he's he's younger. I'm young, but he is younger <laughs> than I am. So you know, he's really fresh into the the up and coming things that are happening in construction world.
1: Very cool. I think you know, every day is an opportunity to learn. And it's like I think it's so cool to be able to learn from other people, the people that are near you or in your sphere, or even people that you just come across at a conference or online. I think just you can learn from anybody. I think that's the best part of life.
0: It's so much fun. I mean, it, and you do like, if I'm like, if I went through all the things that I got to learn this week, it it's, it's great. And you just have to be open to it and open to so many different things too, like, not just set in one arena, but I mean, like I said, like who I, I'm going to guess that nobody's probably going to be like, yeah, she's taking seminary school in classes on revelation. I, I have I, it's, it's what interests you today. I think you always have to keep learning.
1: And one thing you said in your Ratchet & profile story was that shop owners need to invest 60% of their time in people. And I, you know, I know you're very people oriented. You have 350 employees. You're talking about how excited you are about your construction manager. And how do you walk this out every day? Like, how do you re- remain interested in people all the time? Like, how do you invest in them and win their hearts?
0: <laughs> and it is. So um, we do a couple of different things. One, I'm pretty regimented about what it is. So I don't believe, you know, if you have direct reports, there is a number, a magic number of direct reports to where it doesn't make any sense because you're not going to be able to invest the time in them that you want to invest. Like I invest in everybody in my company. Um, You know, I know probably still most people's first name, but I can't spend and really pour into them if I have too many direct reports. So I really encourage people to limit the number of direct reports from five to eight, eight being the maximum to really be able to, if you want to pour into people and then still be able to pour into yourself, then that's probably, that's my magic number. Then in order to spread that love a little bit further out, um, I have on Mondays, I always have a standing meeting. Um, If I'm on the road, the standing meeting is I call into the meeting Um, And a standing meeting means it's going to be 10 minutes of here's what's great. Here's what we need to get better at this week. Here's the top level priorities. Um, And then every single week um, or every single month, I have a one on one with each one of my direct reports. Um, They have a designated time. I make sure I'm always there. I make sure that I leave that time open for it's open for them. To be able to talk about anything that they want to talk about, ask anything that they want to ask, go over what anything that is, and then we will finish it out with here's what I see or here's what I want the objectives to be now that I've heard from you so that we are always aligned. And how can I help you get there? And where do you want to go? So I'm always building people towards where is like a great example is I've had a, a lady that I hired in customer service probably eight months ago, nine months ago, and she told me that she wanted to have a career. And, HR. and as of yesterday, we were able to promote her and move her from customer service into HR because we've been pouring into her training for life because we knew that's where she wanted to go. So we've been training her. Um, and so it's great when you see that kind of stuff um, that actually happens. And then nationally, um, you know, I jump on a Zoom meeting with everybody in our company once a quarter to say it's a State of the Union address. Um, And then a lot of times I'll hop on our national GM or service manager monthly meetings just to say hi to everybody and kind of keep up with everybody. So there's ways that I'm able to still feel like that I'm touching and I'm spending time with people, but I'm really pouring into the people that directly report to me so that that can then funnel all the way through the company and how we recruit and how we train and how we retain and customer service and all of those things.
1: You are involved in a very good way. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, and that's why 60% of my time has to be, if you spend most of your time in your people, then of course, sales are going to be where they should be. Um, your money is going to be where it should be. You know, I I have numbers that we have to hit and I have percentages that we have to hit. I should be able to quickly look at it and say, yes, we're here. No, we're not here and write a few notes. And I, I measure it all the time. Uh-huh people would probably be shocked at how much I look at our numbers all the time and, and send out action plans based on that, but it doesn't get fixed there. It's just, it's my red flag or my green flag to say that a boy, or we need to do some work. So it's my red flag, but it's not where I spend my time.
1: Now you were our January cover. Did that shock you? Did Were you surprised to see yourself on the cover?
0: Um, You know what I was surprised is that I, I got some calls that said, <laughs> um, Hey, Reese." was this taken like 20 years ago because, um, you know, they had the technician uniform on, I had the hat on. Yeah. That was the thing that surprised me is I was so, cause you know, there's a, they, they were here for a day and you know, we took pictures in the office and we took pictures at one of our shops and you know, there's me in my normal business attire. But then we were like, Oh, this will be fun. Bart, one of my technicians, um, over at that store was like, Hey, we got an extra uniform. You need to throw it on so they can see that you actually do know how to work on a car. I was like, all right. And it just, it was funny that that's what ended up coming out as the, as the technician uniform. And I love the fact, though, that a few people called and said, Hey, was that picture like, you know, from, from 20 years ago? And I was like, No. If you could have given me a compliment, that was the best one I could have gotten today. <laughs> it made me feel good. I could still pull it off that I'm in my 20s and 30s.
1: Yeah, I know. I saw those photos and I was like, I talked to our art director. I said, That's the one. He's like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is it. (laughs) I love it. All right. So did you imagine, like, if you look back over your life now, Mm -hmm. from young Reese to now, you know, to to now, did you imagine any of this as, you know, girl in the shop with daddy? Like, Could you look back and say, wow, this is a culmination of my entire life. Here it is. I'm prepared. I I prepared for all of this back then.
0: Absolutely. Every single day. I am absolutely shocked. Um, we had a standing meeting on Monday and, you know, it, it, I, and it was one of those, we have core values and each month I highlight a core value. And one of our core values is is grateful. Um, and that was last month's. And then this month's core value was humble. And so I usually, I like to talk about what does it mean to me? Why did we pick that as a core value? And one of the things I said is I was like, you know, Y'all, we just, again, this month, this year, for the, I don't even know how many months and years in a row, we just hit another month of record sales again. And y'all, just so that you know, we are actually on point right now for adding another 509 employees. This year, and the fact that we are all here growing and loving and learning to do this together like, do y'all realize how amazing this is? And, like, when I stop and really think about what is happening on a day to day basis, I am in shock. Um, just and I'm in shock too when I hear people that we work with about how much they love being here, um, and, and how many lives has changed. You know, I've got some of my I'm very passionate about foster care ministry mm-hmm. and we have our shops across the country who are now who adopt a foster family every single month. Um, this past December, we were able to um, adopt 387 foster kids um, and we every single month. Our company gets together and we make gift bags for a foster child who's going to a new home. And the thing is, is that we, like, literally, I will, if we don't send it out early enough about who the family, um, each family in each city is going to be that, like, we will get, hey, who's going to be our family? I'm going to go buy a new skateboard. I'm going to go buy this. Like, they get so excited about something of given of themselves. Um, and so all of that completely shocks me. And today we actually have some of our managers and technicians who are now foster parents. And then we have even some who have now adopted kids out of foster care. Who would have thought that you would have seen that happening with a bunch of guys and a few, few gals in the automotive world. I I surely, surely never thought that that would have been the case.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've built an organization, you know, in your own image, you know?
0: Yes. I don't make them all. And I will tell you, I don't make them all do anything with, with the fostering or the dogs. But somehow oh. it seems to flow into everybody.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's the thing is like, you know, when you have a great leader installed and you believe in what they stand for, you want to be more like that person.
0: Yeah, it's it's just, I'm so blessed. Like it, it really is. So no, I could have never in a million years imagined that that little girl who just wanted to answer her phone and then her brother <laughs> pulled her pants down when she talked to the first person that came in the door. Never would I have thought that I would have been doing this today.
1: Wow. And so what does your dad think of all this success?
0: He, I think that he's probably shocked. But if you ask him, he always says, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised she hadn't done more. He, to him, like, he's just like, this is who you were. When You love what you do. He was like, this was you from day one. He was like, so I'm not shocked. He was like, I, he thinks that it's it's not surprising at all. So I'll tell him things that I think is the craziest things that ever happened. And then he'll just look at me and be like, yeah, I'm not surprised. And I'm like, how are you not that that is insane dad yeah I'm not surprised uh, and it's always good stuff but it's just like he he just knows that when you love what you do you'll crush it
1: yeah no no doubt and so one day the industry may put you on stage for a lifetime achievement award what would you want people to take away from your like iconic career like what, what would be the one thing you'd want people to say yeah that's what I learned from Reese.
0: um I would say the number one thing is that she did what she loved and I want to make sure that I will be successful if I do what I love. It is the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten is that if anybody looks at what they do as a job, I don't think that they'll ever be successful. But if they find the one thing that they love in life and they do that and they focus on that, as long as it's productive... Um, if they do that and they focus on that, there's no way you won't be successful because it's never like work. There's never going to be a Saturday or Sunday that I'm going to complain about opening up a shop or being in a shop or working in a shop because I'm not working. Like you're never going to see me on a Sunday after church being over at a shop because we're cleaning it out because we're about to remodel it that you're going to hear me complain about being there. I'm going to be having the time of my life. And I think that that's, that's the key piece of it is I love people and I love what I do. So it's never ever 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 been about the money or about anything else. It's just about how can I give back more? How can I make people more successful? Um and how can I just keep doing what I love every day?
1: Love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much, Chris, and I can't wait to see you again and um everybody, I'm bringing my whole team this year to Denver. So There'll be a lot of people that you can ask about. <laughs> There'll be a lot of people there in Denver this year, so we're all excited about it. We're actually going to do our retreat out there.
1: Oh, that's phenomenal. Cannot wait. Thank you. I and that's going to do it for us here today at Ratchet & Wrench Radio. Uh, I'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe to our email newsletter, which goes out daily. Uh, and you can find that at ratchetandwrench.com. And that's R-A-T-C-H-E-T-A-N-D. W-R-E-N-C-H dot com. And may the rest of your day be the best of your day. And we'll see you next week.